This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am all alone today. Normally, I have Meredith with me. This is going to basically be our kind of long-form better dieting uh, conversation, but this is actually going to be a shorter podcast than normal. And then next week, of course, we have our building blocks, which kind of sets the foundation for what we do. Normally, with these, we kind of take uh, a, a general topic and hopefully they tend to be a little entertaining. In this case, what I'm going to do is take a topic that we talk about in the Better Dieting Group. So if you're not in the Better Dieting Group on Facebook, that might be something that you would want to check out. Hopefully trying to get something going on Reddit so people have more options for, um, you know, where to go for this type of information. But what I wanted to tackle today was you know, the concept of macros versus ketogenic dieting, or basically macros versus low-carb dieting. And the reason why I'm kind of focusing in on those two things is because both of them sort of represent either, you know, one way of doing things or the other, right? So if you look at Weight Watchers or Slim Fast or something like that, those actually represent macros. They're mostly calorie-based. You're eating a little bit more flexibly. You're just eating less. With ketogenic dieting, Atkins, I would probably throw paleo in there. You're really trying to keep carbohydrates relatively low. And so I'm going to give kind of the pros and cons. But here's the interesting thing about both of them when we're talking about a deficit style of eating or dieting is that neither is actually proven to be you know vastly better than the other right and so you know if you're familiar with eat reform you know that that we do macros but we also have a portion of eat reform that looks very similar to keto and looks very more similar to keto when you're in a fat loss cycle so i'll walk through that a little bit and give you kind of the pros and cons of both. But there is just a lot of misinformation out there. And I wanted to kind of just, you know, break through that clutter, kind of give you guys the specifics as you're sort of making these choices. And in my view, macros does end up being uh, a lot better, but not for the reason that most people think. And so from a scientific standpoint, like I said, you know, there's really not a lot of difference. Uh, now, what you will see as it relates to ketogenic dieting is that it's going to pull more water out of your body. Right. And so when you look at fats compared to carbohydrates, fats don't require as much uh, water to process through the system. Carbohydrates, the last part of the word is hydrate. So uh, it suggests that, you know there is a certain amount of water. And when you look at, you know, starches as an example, they're going to carry a um, water load with them that will keep your muscles hydrated. Ketogenic dieting or ketogenic dieting will basically pull water out of your body, muscles, fat, organs, things of that nature at a much higher rate. Now, what's interesting about it is that if you were kind of mountain doing it up and 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 maybe had a lot of alcohol, a lot of calories, weren't paying real 
whole lot of attention to what you're doing, you'll see a result doing anything, right? Now, that result, result might be more acute if you're eating low carb, but it's not necessarily more effective as it relates to fat loss, right? So when we look at kind of the difference between the two, what we're really looking at is fat loss um, as opposed to weight loss, right? So I'll give a great example. If you're, um, well, I guess it's sort of dependent on your point of view, right? Um, whether this is great or not. But w let's say that you were low carb and, you know, within, I'd say, three months, you're down 30 pounds as opposed to macros with 20 pounds because you were kind of, you know, coming into it, you knew you were overeating, you weren't managing it, you didn't know how much. And so it's highly motivating if you lose, let's say, 30 pounds compared to 20 pounds in, in that instance. But the problem is, is that, is it fat, right? Now, for you out there, you might think, well, that's really not important to me. I'm really just trying to lose weight. It should be important to you because as you are coming down, you really want to hold water into your muscles as much as possible. And if you just kind of kind of nuclear bomb your system and get all the water out of it, you really didn't address, you know, your bodily fat. Right. And, and if the goal is body composition, if the goal is healthier, then we're I'm going to really point to to why, you know, as we start to normalize food, that macros might be a little bit better approach. But but it's going to surprise people some of the things that I say, even in in regards to that. Right. Because, you know, I think that there is, um, you know, when you look at all dieting, it comes down to are you eating in a deficit way, right? And the majority of the time you should not be dieting. But in the example that I used earlier, you know, this is actually one of the big things. You know, when we talk about ketogenic dieting, it's not that um, people find it superior, they find it easier, right? And so kind of this idea of demonizing food and, and, and good and bad and, and things of that nature it's very easy at the first level of what you're trying to do, but it you know it might be a little bit more difficult as you're kind of moving forward. And I think that even you know one of the good things about ketogenic dieting right now is that you are starting to see people becoming more aware of tracking, which I think is a good thing. But at the same time, there aren't a whole lot of answers on how to reverse or how to normalize things. And ketogenic dieting does come at a big cost with that. Um, same thing with macros, though. Uh, even though you're holding on to more water with macros, what ends up happening is people don't cycle their um, fat loss cycles. Right. And so what they want to do is lose 100 pounds in six months. Right. And a lot of that comes from, you know, these weight loss shows that we've all seen and, and people work out as much as they possibly can and eat as little as they possibly can. And at this point, we all know 
the health consequences, I always think it's interesting that people always focus on the negatives as it relates to to the people on the shows, but they don't focus on the negatives as it relates to society as a whole. And I I know, you know, myself, uh, I I basically looked at those shows as models for potentially how to get healthy. And, you know, it's really just a formula for overtraining. It's a formula for getting hurt. Um, you're not your body's not ready for that kind of activity. And certainly when you're not feeding yourself um, that that has its problems. Right. So when we look at the initial phases of a fat loss cycle, uh, the fat loss part isn't that much different. The weight loss part is more different and i would say a great example like i said earlier maybe i didn't uh is that you might lose 30 pounds um eating low carb and you might lose 20 pounds with macros but with macros you might hold a little bit more water into your muscles organs you know things of that nature and ketogenic dieting you're you're going to be pulling a lot more water out which you know when weight is going down that can be fairly motivating right but the problem that you run into is if you start to have trouble with sleeping right and these are all you know sleeping fatigue um all these things that sort of happen with any form of dieting right there was a there was a boxing show i was watching and there was uh there was a i can't remember uh i can't remember his name but he is a his nickname was chocolatito and he was one of the best pound for pound boxers in the world and he would cut more than i would say some of the better well-known people like manny pacquiao and, and floyd mayweather he was just kind of doing the old school boxing way where he would go home and eat and then he would cut dramatically. And his downfall in boxing was so acute because and, and he talked about it in one of the shows where he said, you know, when cutting for a fight, you know, it's hard because you can't sleep and the sacrifices that you're making in that regard. And literally within the next two fights he just became a shell of himself and he may have even retired at this point because he just couldn't beat anybody. And the, the point being is that the more dramatic you have to go to, to reach the results that, that you want. One thing, the more likely you are to rebound. And I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. Uh, but also what are you, what are you doing and why, do you need that level of intervention, right? When we're talking about intervention, we're just talking about food intervention to kind of help you reach your goals, right? And we're we're looking at both of these things that, you know, can be either good or can be bad. There, there's positives, like I said, for the motivation side for ketogenic dieting. On the macro side, you, you're looking at a little bit more balance. Uh, most of the advantages come from the fact that you can eat a little bit more flexibly. But there are some more advantages 
as you start to reverse. But the more, you know, the way that I always kind of like explain it to people is that the more aggressive that you have to be, it's it's almost like, you know, using a nuclear bomb to to kill a cockroach. Right. And there's a lot of people that have weight, you know, ideas in their head of what they should weigh and that if they get to that weight or maybe they're even doing the math and going, well, I have X amount of fat. If I lose X amount of weight, then I will be certain body fat percentage. It doesn't really work like that. You actually get to a point where, you know, if let's say that you have 20 pounds of fat additional to what you, you know, you're hoping that you can get rid of 20 pounds of fat and then no amount of lean mass. That's just not possible, right? What what happens is, is that you're going to pull more water out of your muscles. So therefore, you know, it's going to show as less muscle on a body fat test. Um, sort of depends on the, the testing method. But in general, you know, when you're losing weight, you're going to be losing a little bit of muscle in that process. And you have to be okay with that. More often than not, you know, we advise people to stay away from body fat tests around fat loss cycles. And then, you know, once they start to normalize and then hydrate those muscles again, then it's a better time to, um, you know, take those tests because even as you're lower, right? So let's say that, that, you know, you've lost 15 pounds in the process and and your weight is starting to normalize. You know, a lot of people think that as you bring back in food, you will gain weight. But but that's not always the case because, you know, first you end up sleeping a little better, a little deeper, a little bit longer. Um, your energy starts to come back. You're not as fatigued no matter what you do. Right. Tito macros, whatever. Um, you really you know, you start working better as an individual. So it's it's very common for people to continue to lose weight. They might spike up a little bit. And and it's those fluctuations that I think people sort of freak out about, you know, because you, you lose 15 pounds and you were 165 and now you're 149.9. And you make a lot of real bad decisions um, related to staying under 150 and you never allow yourself to kind of get back to kind of normal calories and we can talk a little bit more about that but but kind of having that you know those weight goals kind of works against uh, what your end goals should be and you know I spent a lot of time this weekend going over various features that we're trying to add to our app that really set people up for that kind of thing. Because I think for a lot of folks, you know, we end up having these thought processes and I'm no different than you guys, you know, where, you know, you want to be under 190, right? Or you want to be under 180. And, and you know, those things don't mean a whole lot. You know, you can step on one scale compared to another and, you know, get a different reading. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. So when we're talking about carbohydrates versus low carbohydrates, I think it's always important to bring up athletic examples. And the reason why is because what we're really talking about is trying to use two mechanisms rather than one. So when we talk about macros versus keto, 
in both instances, you can get to a point with calories where you just don't feel like doing all that much. This is the reason why there's so much talk about putting you know, your carbohydrates around your workouts and things of this nature. It, it, it's not because that is, is, is necessarily better. It, it's been proven that it's only marginally better and you really have to be at the top end of the, the athletic scale to really even see that marginal benefit, right? The reason why people constantly talk about meal timing is because they're just trying to get you to have the will to work out when it's hard to have the will to work out when you're under eating. So kind of keep that in mind. But what the best example that I usually use is LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony. So I think it was 2013, 2014, I think the um, LeBron was still, um, you know, playing for the Miami Heat. And both these guys at the same time started low carbing. And I think that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try and square the circle here a little bit about why um, this is relevant to an audience that's not a world-class athlete. But what's nice about comparing a world-class athlete is you get someone testing the, the top end of things, right? So both these guys started posting pictures to social media. There were articles written. You can Google them. Um, but there wasn't really a lot of discussion. In fact, you know, there was a lot of people in the low carb community that started writing articles about, you know, these guys embracing their way of life. Now, they embraced their way of life in the summer. And if you think about it, if you're 270 pounds like LeBron James or 245, 250 like Carmelo Anthony, Weighing less and less stress on your bones and ligaments and things of this nature does seem like a benefit. And so whatever would help you weigh less, you know, if you're pulling water out of your body, you know, like we were talking about earlier, that's going to be be a good thing. And what happened in, in both their instances, LeBron being the best example, Carmelo actually does have sort of this history of trying vegetarianism and and um, trying low carb and he's done many you know quick fix type stuff lebron isn't that guy right he um is pretty smart and and what he's come up with after the fact is actually real similar to what eat form looks like but what happened is that lebron's whole basketball game was off right and he started dealing with you know this these overuse issues he just didn't have the energy that he used to have because he, he didn't have well hydrated muscles when you're talking about well hydrated muscles we're not just talking about carbohydrates we're talking about electrolytes and so when you know your muscles aren't well hydrated your sodium ends up being low one of the things that's interesting about sodium levels is that within the intestine you know sodium is not going to be processed all that much when there isn't a lot of lot of uh, uh, carbohydrates in place 
when carbohydrates in place, they load more effectively into the muscle. And what's interesting about that piece is that, you know, ketogenic dieters will not see a big spike in weight with high levels of sodium. And, you know, even though um, ketogenic dieting has been studied endlessly for the last 50 to 60 years, um, a lot of the information that's coming out right now is not really relevant to the end game, right? Like it's, it's, it's certainly a, a treatment that they use for epilepsy that's really, really helpful. But in terms of treating other chronic diseases, the answer has sort of been out there for a long time that this is not something that happens. Now, you know, can we argue for moderation? Can we argue for balance? I would say that as a company, that's exactly what we do every single day. But, you know, the temptation to look at the magic pill, right? Um, you know, it really isn't that. And, you know, when we talk about managing bodily fat, you know, what and getting back to kind of the LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, what those guys found, you know, LeBron, you know, was really struggling with fatigue, dealing with overuse issues, was not 100 percent had to leave the team for, I believe it was two to three weeks. When he came back, he, he looked like he had more muscle. His muscles were more hydrated. And I believe they, they end up going to the finals that year or at the very least. Um, and, and I don't believe they won the championship that year. But, uh, you know, it, it just really showed that even at the top end of things, you know, people tend to want to experiment. And I get why a 270 pound person would want to weigh less, right? It's, it, it would be less stress on them. But what he's found is that, you know, a more balanced approach, and you really see these guys being much smarter about their nutrition. They are all counting macros. They're all eating six to 7,000 calories a day. They're very acutely aware uh, LeBron, as an example, uh, was one of the people that, you know, was one of the, the people on the front line for the WHOOP, which is a um, activity tracker that also tracks heart rate variability. So and, and LeBron, <laughs> LeBron is is, you know, known to, to have spent at least one point five million dollars last year just on the pursuit of health. And so these guys are on the front lines of what will trickle down into society later on. And so what we've seen most athletes move to is more of a balanced approach. And, and why does that apply to you as a, a lay person? Um, and, and why do the rules that they have apply to you, but just in a varying degree, right? I mean, certainly, uh, you know, you'll see CrossFit Games athletes, you know, uh, Tour de France athletes that, you know, eat a thousand grams of carbohydrates like Brent Fakowski or, or 1300 grams of carbohydrates like the uh, Tour de France winner. Your carbohydrates obviously won't, you know, requirements won't need to be that high. But allowing for that flexibility from both a physical side, but also a mental side. 
has definite meaning, right? And so uh, one of the great examples is here in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, there's uh, Jimmy Butler, and they were, I was watching this game, and they were talking about his personal chef. And the announcer said that he could be his personal chef because all he eats is white rice, chicken, and fish. And uh, while I'm, I'm not necessarily supportive of, of that per se, I would say that that as a uh, – and, and Jimmy Butler's known to, to have some wine every now and again. But but that level of, of, of flexibility, you know, in, from a metabolic standpoint where, you know, you're eating lean meats, an adequate amount of fat, and a good amount of carbohydrates does allow for you to not only pursue optimal health, but also potentially optimal body composition over time. So this has already gone a little bit longer. The big takeaway, of course, of what I'm talking about is not whether macros are better than, than ketogenic dieting. The big takeaway is which one is better as you normalize food. And this is where macros really starts to separate itself from ketogenic dieting. Because as you start to normalize food, you're already eating in a more balanced way, which means that you're going to be less insulin resistant, you're going to be more insulin sensitive, and so your body's going to process those nutrients better. So let's say that you were really motivated about the 30 pounds that you lost when you were ketogenic dieting. The use of carbohydrates is, is similar to, to weights, right, um, and, and muscle, is if you're not using it, your body becomes weaker and less useful as, as a result. Right. So with ketogenic dieting, you actually will develop a certain amount of insulin resistance that will make you gain weight much faster. And anyone that has ketogenic dieted and moved to a more normal way of, of eating, you know, what you'll often see is that weight spikes up. Now, I would argue that you can control that over time but if you overreact to the fact that you gain five pounds on one day when you overeat and try to eat normal then you're not going to have a real good response and if you're really super motivated by that 30 pounds that you lost and now you gained five pounds back in one day that's very demotivating right um and the other thing that I think is important is that with ketogenic dieting, you're more prone to have higher cortisol levels. You're more prone to be apt to not sleeping, um, things of this nature. Now, all of these things can also happen with macros as you go down further and further and further. And I would argue that macros actually comes with a similar, you know, nuclear bomb problem because from a hormone perspective, when macros get too low, you really start to run into thyroid issues. You know, um, the balance that I keep talking about when you're eating a mostly non-deficit way of eating 
is favorable as it relates to your thyroid. It's favorable as it relates to insulin, leptin, all these different things. You know, when your body is exposed to carbohydrates and when your body is using insulin in an appropriate way, you know, that's actually very healthy for your body. There, there's always these straw man arguments related to diabetics and, and diabetes and things of this nature. The problem with diabetes is not that, you know, these people are are eating too many carbohydrates or too little carbohydrates. It's that there isn't a good balance as it relates to their work capacity and how they're eating food, right? And so, you know, certainly there are instances with obesity where someone could have less Mountain Dews, eat less sugar, these things, these types of things. But when you're, you know, tracking macros, as an example, this is this is something I often use when we're talking in the Better Dieting Group, is that really there? No one gets obese tracking macros, right? The 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 way that you get obese is by not tracking macros, not understanding how your body works, not how you know, not realizing um, that there has to be some level of trial and error to see what your body responds to best. And and most people are not. I would say that they're, they're a little scared of kind of testing the top end of what their body is capable of doing. But, you know, at the same time, they have these calorie numbers. You know, I was on vacation in Oregon and there was this woman telling me that she is 100 percent. She knows that she's supposed to be eating 1600 calories a day. And I said, well, I'm looking at you. <laughs> I can see who you are. And I have thousands of clients like you. And she had already told me her activity level and stuff like that. I said, I bet you're probably under eating by about a thousand calories a day and that you would stay weight stable. But not only would you stay weight stable, your muscles would hydrate better. Your workouts would be better. And you would see a visible definition in your muscle um, and you would release fat as a result at a higher number. Right now, that doesn't mean that she would lose weight in that instance. But, you know, there's just a lot of people that have like these numbers in their head as it relates to weight or calories. And those things are not allowing them to be who they want to be. I mean, you know, irrespective of the fact that I was eating at the same place as this woman and the meal that she ate was 1600 calories, you know? So there's this myth that we all tell ourselves, but the reality is, is that, you know, we drink alcohol, we eat bigger meals on the weekends, and we often overreact to the flexibility from the weekends during the week. And that's not favorable as it relates to metabolism because we're not pushing the top end most of the time. We're not sleeping as well as we could. We're not working out at high capacity. So that's where macros um, can be super favorable is that as macros move up to normalize, you do not see the types of rebounds that you see 
with ketogenic dieting. And even, you know, I would argue that even if you were tracking ketogenic dieting, what you would find is that to stay the amount that you are, you would have to undereat, and the cycles of ketogenic dieting would not be as effective because you would not be able to get to the higher numbers that you would with macros, right? And so if, as an example, you were ketogenic dieting um, and, and lost, let's say, 50 pounds, but you only lost 30 pounds with macros, you would actually get to higher than 50 pounds of fat loss quicker with macros because you your body can respond to the normalization much easier than it does with ketogenic dieting and i don't have to tell anybody you know we all know this is true right if you've ever low carb you know that you get these monstrous spikes as it relates to weight and there's another piece of that that's really important and it comes down to your relationship with food and that's where macros ends up being far better than anything else this is why you know there's, there's all these people kind of preaching this low carb way of eating and things of this nature yet the big 800 pound gorilla is weight watchers right and what's the big thing with weight watchers that you can eat a little bit more flexibly now they don't have the normalization part right but uh and 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 i would argue that you know most of the thyroid problems that we see most of the insulin resistance that we see from low weight really comes from this pattern of constantly dieting so to summarize macros are keto in a deficit neither are particularly better as it relates to fat loss in terms of weight loss ketogenic dieting would be slightly better but it comes with the um, added problems so macros becomes better when you're normalizing right and if you're not normalizing if you don't have a plan for what your food is going to look like after your deficit cycle then you're not going to be successful and you're going to be frustrated a lot and I think that when we look at, and just to kind of finish up this, this podcast, when we look at what things will look like five to 10 years from now, we have too much data at this point to not know what is going to happen and why it's happening. And we're already modeling a lot of what that stuff looks like. And when we can start putting, putting machine learning on different ages and different um, activity levels and, and things of that nature, it's only going to get better and better and better, right? So this want for a really simplistic approach is actually going to harm you if you want to really know what the answer is long term. I would argue no matter what you do, you should be tracking the data and you should be knowing why but that's not why someone ketogenic diets that's not why someone does paleo that's not why someone does slim fast right uh you know when you buy box food the problem with the box food is when the box food doesn't come what are you going to do then have you ha do you have a real good plan and the problem is is that people overreact 
to one weekend or a month where you know they, they went on vacation now they want to kind of normalize things a bit and you know that might work when you're 29 and and you can kind of kind of use it once and and you're fine but if you've been doing that since you're about 15 and you're still really confused and you don't know what you're putting in your body and why that's going to be a big part of the answer to solving the problem and if you are avoiding that because you don't want to know i mean that's like going that's like not going to the doctor or not going to the dentist when you have a toothache right you just don't want to know so you figure if you can avoid the problem but then all of a sudden you have an abscess tooth and the problem just starts getting worse and worse and worse so i would argue that um even even in the case of ketogenic dieters they should be tracking once they start to track what i think that they're going to find is that a more balanced approach uh you know we could talk about ketosis and and how low people go but at the end of the day you know if you look at a crossfit games athlete or if you look at you know lebron james or, or something like this it's the it's the people that are eating in a more balanced way that are pursuing the the limits of who they are as a human being that are thriving that look the best right and so if your goal is to look the best you really need to, and 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 really even from a health perspective you want to have more balance you want to have more you know work capacity and this is the part that sort of kills me about you know like these gigantic movements like crossfit right where you know you have the we're preaching to people that they should be trying to expand who they are as a human being and thrive but then there's this big crossfit health movement that is very low carb and things of this nature now i do think that if they're if they're going to use the same model for work capacity i mean if i was around crossfit 10 years ago and i saw all those insane videos where people are throwing weights at each other and stuff like that hopefully what happens with crossfit health is that that same open model that allowed for athletes to kind of get to where they are will happen with nutrition where you know we're having open discussion but right now crossfit health symposium that's going on at the same time as the crossfit games is all low carb right because that's the the narrative that greg glassman wants out there and you know the simple fact of the matter is is that it crossfit or and really weightlifting and, and a lot of you know longer endurance these are highly glycolytic sports these are sports that need quick energy um, from starches and those things are, are favorable and I, I would argue that you know when you look at the crossfit gains from 2010 compared to 2018 the numbers for the athletes are just different because they've explored what is better I think there's a lot of people that have these very limited beliefs about what people's capacity are as it relates to food. And we even see this with total daily energy expenditure, which is the science that that most companies use to approximate deficit cycles. Right. Um, what we do is we don't guess. Right. We, we can actually build deficit cycles 
knowing what your calories are, knowing what your sodium is, knowing what your your sugars are, knowing what your starches are, things of this nature. Um, most people are just guessing. And so when we look at what the, the potential, you know, even above total daily energy expenditure, which is science that has been around for, you know, you know, I can even think back to the Minnesota starvation study where they had a the balance with the people at 4000 calories and then brought them to to 1500 calories. A lot of that research is what became the basis for dieting over time. Right. But. Look at that 4000 number. We didn't really look at the 4,000 number as being the big part of the answer. We looked at the 1,500 number as being big part of the answer. And that's the interesting thing about the Minnesota starvation study, which is a study that really could not be replicated to this day, is that what they were really trying to do is figure out how to refeed people, right? There was, you know, obviously horrific things going on with World War II where uh, people were going to need to uh, bring food back into their life in a healthy way and they they could thrive and, and and live a good life and that was the basis for the study and so when we look at and when i say that dieting is the way that or dieting should be very rare and non-dieting should be the way that you're eating most of your life that's what i'm basing it off of and the numbers that people have in their head even the numbers related to total daily energy expenditure we see those numbers being blown away every single day by people pushing that capacity without weight gain, without, you know, the the problems. You know, like I said, no one gets obese tracking macros and working with a coach. What happens is, is it's the deviations and not, you know, really exploring what the full potential is that causes the real problems. All right, so I was hoping this would be quick. It ended up not being quick, but hopefully this is helpful for people as they're starting to make their decision because at the end of the day, you're really coming down to um, reducing calories by by moving food groups or reducing calories by lower lowering the calories and trying to have a little bit more of a balanced approach. Neither is better. But as you start to normalize, the balanced approach ends up being a lot better. All right. I appreciate everybody listening to this and hopefully this helps. Talk to you later.